Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. An Instagram account has become very famous. It it went from uh, just about 10 days ago having 1,500 followers to having uh, well over 25,000 followers now. Uh, This account is sort of a niche account. Uh, It is not at all what you'd expect to sort of shoot up into uh, Instagram consciousness. The, The name of this account is Preacher Sneakers. And the account uh, shows pictures of famous uh, pastors and what shoes they're wearing. And then side by side with that, how much those shoes typically cost. And the sort of responses to this have been all over the map, right? Some people going, great. He's got, I mean, have you seen those shoes? Those are great shoes. I love it. So for other people, though, it's kind of, it's felt a little bit weird. What? Hmm. A thousand dollar pair of shoes? I'm not sure. And then, of course, because of the internet, think pieces began to show up. What should we be thinking about preacher sneakers? What should we be thinking about this? And all this happens. But there's something about it. Why is it that either we get too excited about that or we get too turned off by that? There's something else going on there. What is it? I think the thing that makes us uncomfortable, especially when we sort of see that, is this idea that something about money and religion makes us cringe. Whenever we sort of talk about those two topics together, whenever you start talking about God and money, things get a little bit weird. It's because of all the things we don't like as people. The thing that we like the least is people telling us how to spend our money, isn't it? You can tell me what to do in a lot of ways, but what I don't want you to do is tell me how to spend my money. This is why why speeding tickets and parking tickets are so frustrating to us, right? Sorry, Jen, parking tickets are just so easy uh, <laughs> to pick on, but we, do, we don't like them because they're, there's somebody telling us how to spend our money. You must pay this money because you were over the limit. You must pay this money because you were speeding. We don't like people to tell us how to spend our money. We especially don't like the idea of God telling us how to spend our money because we've seen throughout church history that there have been all sorts of abuses when it comes to religion and money, when it comes to even Christianity and money. But why are we so uncomfortable? Why don't we like people to tell us how to spend our money? The simple and true answer to that question is because of our greed. You see, most of us don't want to admit it, but most of us struggle with greed. And and it's not that greed is something that only rich people struggle with or only poor people struggle with. It's, It's both. You can have all the money in the world and be greedy. You could have not a dime to your name and still be greedy. You can be absolutely up to your eyeballs in debt and be greedy. You can be completely debt-free and have an impeccable budget and be greedy. See, greed isn't a function of how much money we have. 
What greed is, is an excessive desire for things that we don't have and our belief that money will help us get those things that we desire. To put it another way, greed is thinking too much about money. You see, while most of us would say, oh, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not very rich, so I must not be greedy, that's just not the case. If your life is consumed thinking about money, that is the telltale sign of greed. And it attacks us in big ways and small ways. In some ways, it's huge. We think about sort of the economic disparities that we experience, the economic disparities in our nation, in our city. We think about those things. And we say, yes, something needs to be done. But it's funny that our answers to that, to what we think needs to be done about some of the economic problems in our lives, are almost always the solutions that benefit us and people who look like us and people who spend like us. After all, isn't Robin Hood sort of a a cultural saint for those of us who are in the, the West, right? Everybody loves Robin Hood. Why? Because he steals from the, and gives to the, gives to the poor, right? What, what's not to love? He steals from the rich, and he gives to the poor. And we have sort of told this Robin Hood story over and over, not just because you can't go five years without them making another Robin Hood movie, right? We just had one this year, right? But also we retell it. The story of Ant-Man is ultimately the story of Robin Hood. He is stealing from the rich and giving it to the poor. Ant-Man is just Robin Hood in the Marvel Universe. And it attacks us in other ways. Uh, Depending on your age, you would either be very familiar with lifestyles of the rich and the famous, or cribs, right? There's there's a generational divide. They're basically the exact same show, except one has a British host and one has an American host. One is for a certain sort of generation X and downward. The other is for sort of generation X and upward. But we sort of have this idea that, man, wouldn't it be nice? Look at, look at all those cars. Oh, and it just sort of seeps into the air around us, constantly thinking about money, constantly thinking about stuff. But it's small things, too. How many of us think that the solution to our problems would be $5,000 more a year? If I, if I just got a $5,000 a year raise, how many of my problems would disappear? I mean, all of a sudden, I wouldn't be struggling to pay my rent. All of a sudden, that, that car that I need to replace could be replaced. I mean, I mean everything could happen. I mean, that's, that's enough to get my kid into that private school that I want. If I could just get that little bit more money, everything would be better. And we think it's a modest amount. Well, it's just $5,000. I'm not being greedy. I'm not asking for 100 But at the same time, what are we still obsessing about? What are we still thinking about? What consumes our brains? And so we keep chasing status symbols. We keep chasing the right car, the right neighborhood. We want to make sure that we have the nice clothes. I think that it's safe to say that when we use the definition of greed, that is an obsession with money, I think most of us would find ourselves to be greedy. It's baked into us through our culture. We're obsessed with money. 
But the thing about it is, is that is actually a symptom of a deeper problem. You see, we'd like to say, oh, greed is bad and move on. But really, our obsession with money, our obsession with $5,000 more a year, our obsession with those things is actually pointing to something more significant and deeper in our hearts. And I'd like to look at that this morning. As I do, I'd like to read to you a story that Jesus told. It's from Luke chapter 12, and I'd like you to stand as I read it. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will those be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. City Church, this is the Word of God, written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. The real issue on the one hand is how much we think about money, how much any thought about money seeps into our brain in every waking moment. But even more than that, it's how much trust we place in money. You see, we think that money can fix all of our problems. We think that, that whatever is going on, whether it's marital problems, whether it's problems with our children, we put our trust in money above other things. We're greedy. And it's, it's interesting because most of us would agree that greed is bad. I don't think that's, an, that's not a hot take. Right? Greed is bad is not a hot take. It is pretty universally true. Christian or not Christian, whatever we are, sort of wherever we find ourselves on the religious spectrum, most of us would agree that Ebenezer Scrooge is a bad role model. That Gordon Gecko is a bad role model. That greed is not good. And we say that and we believe that. But what happens? We still chase promotions, don't we? What happens when your boss gets promoted at work? How do you treat your coworkers? When when your boss gets promoted and they're looking to fill his job, how quick are you to bury your coworker when they do something wrong? How quick are you to make sure that everybody knows that you were the one that turned in that fantastic TPS report? Right? That that was you. You did it right. Everybody else did it wrong. You got it right. You're quick. I'm quick. We want to chase that promotion. The next thing, because why? Because that promotion is going to give me a little bit more money. 
And think of how that's going to change my family dynamics. Think about the way that that's going to change. And we sort of filter in and we, we imagine, we daydream about it. I mean, I don't think there's a human alive that is not once in a while driven past the, the signs, the huge billboards that says Powerball is up to $50 million or I don't, a lot of money and sort of looked at that big Powerball number and said, you know, I wonder what, you know, I mean, I'm sure I'd be very charitable. You know what I mean? Like I'd, I'd be very charitable if I had that much money, but, but also, man, what could I do? I wonder what kind of house I could get. If I just hit that Powerball, just a little bit, and we trust that it's going to change so much about us. So we chase the promotion. We daydream about the lottery. We fire up our phones. We turn on some junk food TV, and then we start looking through Zillow and going, I wonder what it would be like if I could move from old Southeast to old Northeast. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that change? You know what? I mean, look, I'm guilty of this. When people ask me where I live, I say I live in Kenwood. Why do I say I live in Kenwood? Because I'm low-key ashamed that I live in North Kenwood, the bad Kenwood, and not historic Kenwood. In St. Petersburg, we are obsessed with what neighborhood association your house falls into. That is nothing but trusting in something else. Does it matter which Kenwood I live in? No. But you know what? I think if I just say Kenwood, maybe you'll assume that I live in the good Kenwood. And then maybe you'll respect me more. Maybe if I, maybe if I did live in the good Kenwood, I, I wouldn't have so many problems. You, you know what? Maybe I, maybe I, and we start to tell ourselves these little lies like, you know what? If I lived in a different neighborhood, we probably wouldn't fight as, more, as much. If we had just a little bit more money, everything would be okay. And we sort of take all of these chances to entertain these small, tiny, greedy thoughts. And we as Christians are probably guilty of something a little bit more. You see, the Bible talks about money a lot. Jesus talks about money. A lot. Now, most of you guys here at City Church, if you've been around for a while, have heard me quote this statistic that within five miles of where we are right now, the number one reason that people say that they don't go to church is because people talk too much about money. And honestly, that's driven some of our decisions here at City Church. This is actually the first time I've ever talked and had a sermon about money here at City Church. Right? And that's, that's because People don't like to hear about it. But the Bible talks a lot about it. Jesus talks a lot about it. But what we do as Christians is instead of carefully, thoughtfully listening to what Jesus has to say about it, we just like to try to baptize whatever we want to do and say, well, God is calling me to do it. How many times do you have a friend whose God has called him or her to move across the country because they're going to make $10,000 more a year? And they just sort of said, oh, yes, God is calling me to do this because of the cash. How quick are we to do that? You even see that in the parable, right? The man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, would you tell my brother to divide the inheritance? And what, what he's really saying is, Jesus, would you tell my brother to divide the inheritance the good way for me? 
Jesus, would you make everything kosher for my brother to give me the money that he owes me? Does that person in that story really care about Jesus? No, he does not. Jesus is just a way to take what, to get what he wants. What is that person doing? What is the, the, the man who comes to Jesus in this story thinking about when he comes to Jesus? Is he thinking about the fact that, wow, God has stepped out of heaven and is here on earth. Jesus is incredible and his teachings are incredible. No, no, no. He's thinking, ah, here's somebody who will tell my brother to give me my money. Brother better have my money and he better give it to me. And so we do the same thing. We read the Bible, and the Bible encourages thriftiness, and we use that as an excuse to be stingy. Or, we get real self-righteous about not having a lot of money. Right? I've chosen a profession that is famously not well paid, with the exception of apparently sneakers. (laughs) And it's very easy for me to become self-righteous. It's even easy for me to look at that page, look at that Instagram page and say, ah, yes, I'm wearing a pair of Vans. Maybe when I dress up fancy, I wear a pair of work boots to church. I'm not like those guys. I'm glad I am not. I'm glad I'm not greedy like those other people. What am I doing? A, I'm thinking just just as much about money as anybody else. And B, I'm being incredibly self-righteous. Church, we obsess over money over and over again. But that's not ultimately our real problem. Our real problem is what we think that that money is going to get us. Greed is a symptom that points to a different virus. I was talking to a friend this week whose kids got sick and his, his son was running a very, very high fever. It was high enough that they, they called the pediatrician and said, our child is very, very sick. His fever is very, very high. And the doctor said, look, a fever is the body's attempt to kill the virus. The fever is not the problem. The fever is actually the solution. The problem is the virus that is attacking the child. Greed is the fever. What's really going on is the ways that you and I think that comfort, security, and affirmation are our real gods. The reason you want that raise is because you think that if you just have the security of that, then everything else in your life is going to be okay. If I just, if I just had a little bit more money, then those people then those people would love me. If, if I just had a little bit more money, I could be more comfortable. What it's showing, what greed shows us, is actually our idols. That's the virus. Greed is just the fever. The virus is us serving our own comfort. The virus is you and I chasing security as if it's the only thing that matters. Ultimately, what our greed shows us is a lack of faith. Even as we look at that story, as we look at that parable, the man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, fix this. 
And Jesus says there's more to life than the abundance of possessions. And then Jesus tells a story, and he tells the parable, where this man had great crops. Everything came up and was incredible. Which is interesting, even as we start this parable. Because who is the God of the rain and the sun and the crops? God is. Who gave this man these incredible increases in his crops? God did. God is not surprised. God is not shocked. God did not look down from heaven and go, where did he get all that corn? No, God knows. God gave that increase. But what does the man do? He says, ah, look at all this extra money I have. What am I going to do with all my extra money? I know. I'll build a bigger bank to hold all of my money in. Right? And he, and he becomes sort of this caricature. Right? He becomes the, the picture that the TV show Parks and Recreation gives of, of Eagletonians. Right? If you haven't seen the show, this is a town that is right next door uh, to the place where everybody lives, and everybody in Eagleton is very fancy. In fact, when they talk about their neighbors in Pawnee, where the show takes place, they say, you know, the people of Pawnee are a little bit, how do you say, have no money. <laughs> right? They're, they're terribly in debt, but they think that it's gauche to talk about money. That's what this man does. He says, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and what should I do with all of my extra money? I know. I'll bi- build bigger barns. I'll invest in my future. And so what does he do? He builds bigger barns. He builds bigger storehouses for all of his grain. And then he says to himself, soul, you've got it pretty good. Look at what your hard work has got you. Your hard work has gotten you all of this. Now, kick back, relax, pour yourself a drink, make sure it's a single malt because you're rich now. Now sit back, relax, and be merry. What's really going on here is that this man has taken what God has given him, has taken all the things that God has given him and accredited them to himself. God says, I gave the rain. God says, I gave the sunlight. I made the plants grow. What does this man say? Look at my hard work. How many times do you do that? How many times do you credit yourself for what God has done in your life? How many times do I credit myself? How many times am I tempted to sit back and say, hey, for the first time in the history of City Church, we paid our own bills. Well done, Justin. Good on you. That is me being greedy. That is me taking credit for what God has done. That is me believing that affirmation and benchmarks is what my life is really about. And it's not. Because this man shows that. God says to him, fool, you are chasing security. Ah, yes, I will lay up into my barns all of this grain for the future. I'm chasing comfort. Eat, drink, and be merry. Right? What's, what's the funny thing that Jesus is quoting there? Jesus is quoting a philosopher, a, a phrase that would have come before them. That's what? Eat, drink, and be merry. What did the, the folks in Rome say? Because tomorrow we die. 
It's ironic in this story that the guy doesn't even make it to tomorrow, does he? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tonight you die. Your comfort will expire. And if you look around, what would have all the people in the community said? Look at this man. He is he has been look he's being wise with his money. Look how good of a job he's done. He's a, a local hero, the, the best farmer in the neighborhood. Security, affirmation, and comfort. When we think about our jobs, how often do we think not about what God would really want? Not about putting down roots. Not about being genuinely connected to God's community, the church. How many times do we think about it simply in terms of what job is going to bring me the most comfort? How many times do we make decisions simply on the basis of security? All of those things are symptoms of this virus in our heart. As we have gone through and talked about these seven deadly sins, one of the things that we've done each week is highlighted the opposite. So so that's the question. What's the opposite of greed? See, the easy answer to that question, the easy answer to what's the opposite of greed is contentedness, right? This is what Buddhism teaches. Buddhism teaches that what you have to do is you have to let go of your desire for things. If you just just stop desiring them, if you just sort of grit your teeth and say you don't want that car, you don't want that new phone, you don't want that thing, if you just try harder and be more content, everything's going to be okay. And that's great for Buddhism, but that's not the teaching of Christianity. Christianity goes a step farther and makes this a little bit harder. Because the opposite of greed is not simply being content with what we have. The opposite of greed is generosity. See, that hurts a lot more, and that exposes our greed. See, if I just say I need to be more content, I can be very content with what I have. But if I have to be generous, if I have to take what I have and give it to others, all of a sudden my heart kind of pulls up. All of a sudden that e-brake gets pulled and I say, "Ah, I don't know about that. I don't know if I want to do that. Uh Uh-oh, pastor's talking about money again. I don't know if I like that. But it's true. The antidote to the virus of greed and the virus of these idols that we serve, these things like security and comfort and affirmation, the antidote is generosity. Is believing that every dime you have, whether you barely have two of them to rub together or whether you have a lot of money, and we have folks in both of those situations in our church, no matter where you are, beginning to proportionally give both to the church and to other generous causes, changes us. Because what it does is it forces us to say that first, our money is not our own. That it is all a gift of God. And the second thing is, it requires us to believe that God is going to take care of us. And that's hard. 
Because when we do start doing things like looking at our budget and wondering what our life would have to change for us to do something like give 10% of our income away, it's hard to find that 10%, isn't it? Well, what am I supposed to do? Not live like the way I've been living? What do you expect of me? To not have the nice things that I've had? And what happens is we very quickly find ways to run around that. Not because we don't believe it's true, but because we do believe it's true and we think it's uncomfortable. This is true of me, and I think it's true of you. At the end of the day, what it shows is my lack of faith. Now, a word of warning. I will say, first of all, that sometimes people who give regularly, incrementally to the church are some of the most self-righteous people. It's true. Because we can't buy our way into heaven. We can't buy God's favor. You see, a lot of people talk about tithing, talk about giving to God as if it is some sort of religious Ponzi scheme, right? When, when they talk about, ah, yes, I give a tenth of, my, of everything I have to God, therefore, he's going to bless me. And what they mean by he's going to bless me is that he's going to give me more money. As if this is just a way for me to go, ah, God, here you go. I'll give you some and you give me more. That is nothing but works-based righteousness. No, no, no. Where this truly has to come from, where the real change happens, is when we begin to believe that all of our hard work is meaningless in the face of what God has done to bless us. That's hard because that takes you out of control. That's hard because that means you can't chase affirmation. That's hard because it means that your comforts are not your own and that your security is not based on your hustle. City Church, that's hard for us to begin to admit because we are trained to believe that if we hustle enough, the good things will come to us. Or maybe... We give it a nice religious tone and say, if, if we hustle enough for God, he will bless us. But the truth of the matter is what we find in Jesus is a different pattern. What we find in Jesus is Jesus willingly giving up all that he has. Not some, not even a proportional amount. Willingly giving up all that he has to come here and serve us. The Bible puts it as we talked about in our confession and our assurance a little bit earlier that he became poor that we might become rich toward God. Which is exactly what the fool in our story did not have. He was not rich toward God. You see, this is really about Jesus. This is really about what he has done for us. He stepped out of heaven. He stepped out of all of the riches and glories that was heaven and was born in a barn. Jesus lived on this earth. Jesus got fevers and cold. Jesus had, Jesus had all the experiences that we have, yet without sin. And then he dies. Why? So that he can forgive you and me for the ways that we chase security. For the ways that we want comfort above all else. For the ways that we are chasing other people's affirmation. Jesus dies not just to forgive us, but to make us whole. So if Jesus took care of the moral debt that you owed to God, 
is he not going to take care of your life? If he made that big of a step so that he could make you a son and daughter of God, is he going to hang you out to dry? He is not. Jesus said, consider the lilies. Consider the birds of the air. They don't reap, nor do they sow. But what? Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like they are. City Church, Jesus is going to faithfully take care of you. The hard part is believing that. Really believing that. Believing that in a way that genuinely changes your life. Changes your attitude towards a number of things. So as we grow in this and we begin to believe that Jesus is going to take care of us, that everything we have is his, our faith begins to change the way that we're generous to others. All of a sudden, we don't have to cling on to our money. We don't have to hold on to it for dear life. All of a sudden, we can become free and generous with it because our life is not based on our status. Our life is not based on the abundance of possessions or even $5,000 more a year. As we begin to believe more and more what Jesus has done for us, it changes the way we are in our workplace. All of a sudden, it's not dog eat dog. All of a sudden, I can give credit to my coworker when they do something well because I'm not fighting them because I don't need that promotion to validate me because Jesus already has. All of a sudden, our workplace is beginning to become a place where we can live out our faith of loving others, of being generous and sacrificial to others. What would it look like for you to not complain about that project that you had to work on with those other people in your office that you had to do more of the work? Some of you are still in school. Some of you in law school. Some of you are undergrads. Group projects are the bane of most of your existence. What would it look like, though, if you were generous and kind with the way that you treated those things? When our faith begins to grow, when we begin to let go of our greed and let go of our idolatry, it changes the way we approach those things. And finally, it changes the way that we face outward towards others. City Church, we have the opportunity absolutely radically live out our faith in Jesus, to radically live out the way that we hold on to, or more specifically, don't cling to our money. Because this is something completely different than the way our culture around us lives. It's a chance for us to show that our lives are about something more. Our lives are about something different. It's a chance for us to wage the peace of Jesus in St. Petersburg. Let's pray.